0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, Ben Gover. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. I went for a nice little walk this afternoon, and I stumbled upon a snail who was kind of clinging to the back of a bench. And... Uh, it stopped me in my tracks and here's what happened because I really felt like I could relate to it. Here he is hanging on this, the back of this bench looking like one of those rock climbers, mountain climbers that risk life and limb. And all I can do <laughs> is is look at him and think, you know, that's a pretty thick shell he's got. I'm not sure if it will save his life if, say, a big wind gust comes and knock him off. And this is why I was sort of relating to him, because I think throughout these playoffs, you've really been on offense, okay? You've been that wind gust just you know, blowing at me over and over again every single time James Harden <laughs> comes out on the court. Uh, I have to wind up defending his entire you know, reputation, career, everything from accusations that he's a fraud and he can't do it and he's playing the wrong way and all these other things. And I've gamely played along with that, Andrew. And, and mm-hmm. here's the other thing. Look, uh, part of me wants to go on offense and, and kind of put it back in your face and kind of even the balance here. But I also struggle uh, with the fact that one of my mantras is, you know, don't judge a player on his best day. Uh, or his worst day, but the more I thought about it, I just think that, you know, you call me captain in accountability, I need to hold you accountable. Because if James Harden ever played a game as poorly as Kyrie Irving played in game two against the (laughs) Milwaukee Bucks, we would have to do a six-hour-long emergency podcast where you break down every little detail of Harden's uh, personality, his mentality, probably who he's dating, what he's eating, and everything else like that. And look, I Uh don't want to crush Kyrie because he played very, very well in game one. I know we got some emails about that. Uh, He wasn't as good as Al Horford, but he was good for the Celtics but he was an absolute mess in game 2. And so I'm actually going to, you know, stand here uh, right now feeling myself like the snail, you know, full of fury. <laughs> and I'm going to say this Andrew I'm not going to do the rest of this podcast unless you will come on this podcast, you know, get rid of the leprechaun boxers that you're wearing. Put down the lucky charms. Don't tell us any more stories about your study abroad experience in Ireland. And you're going to come out here and say, point blank, Kyrie Irving had the worst game in this year's playoffs by a star, period. I need to hear those words from your mouth.
0: Well, let me ask you: Did Kyrie come out and release, or I guess the Celtics would have been the ones to release a like five-part breakdown of all the fouls that weren't called on him in Game Two against the Bucks?
1: No, okay, he did not do that. But he also did not play Game <laughs> Two with shrapnel from an IED in his eyeballs, like James Harden did. And James Harden still wound up having a better performance in that game than Kyrie Irving in Game Two. Let me tell you so I, I want to hear the Harden, accountability. Harden
0: in Game Two. This Harden is in not game an empty threat, really <laughs> (laughs) This is very, very solid. If you're going to quit the pod, I'm not going to say Kyrie had the worst game of the playoffs. I think some of the Raptors deserve some love for potential worst games of the playoffs. By a
1: legit star player. KD has not had a worse game. Steph has not had a worse game. Even Embiid, when he could barely move because he was sick, had a more impactful performance than uh, Kyrie Irving. Uh, Kawhi Mm -hmm. has not had a worse game. I don't think Jimmy Butler's had a worse game. I can keep going on and on here. I'm saying from a true (laughs) star player, no one has played as poorly as Kyrie did. And if you need me to, I can actually look up the box score and I can really break it down for you, all the things that he did wrong. Or you could just admit that he played a bad game. I'm not saying he's a bum. I'm just saying, let's be accountable when we see bad performances. Let's hold Kyrie to at least a tenth of the standard that you hold James Harden.
0: All right, listen. I can't get there on calling game 2 of against the Bucks the worst game of the playoffs for Kyrie. I will grant you that it was not a great game. What I will say is that I really enjoyed game 1 of Kyrie and game 2 of Kyrie because we got the full Kyrie spectrum. It was like the entire argument was right there. In game 2, he was spectacular, making all kinds of tough shots, tearing the Bucks apart. Game two, he was exactly—it was like a parody of the player that you've been describing for the last six or seven months. And so, well, we you're will getting see there. Where you're getting, getting there, Andrew. The you're, you're you're getting
1: close. <laughs> you're almost speaking my language, but I think I'm going to have to just go ahead and do it. Four for eighteen from the field. His his okay. third worst shooting performance of his entire career. Zero free throw attempts. You know how I feel about that, Andrew. Not great. He had four mm-hmm. assists three turnovers. He scored nine points, his fewest in a playoff game besides one game when he was injured and only played 12 minutes for the Cleveland Cavaliers. If he didn't have the worst performance by a star player in these playoffs, I'm going to need a specific example so we compare it because you know Kyrie wasn't playing any defense in game two either. You know that for a fact.
0: Yeah. Well, I think look, there were some Westbrook games that deserve some love. If we're talking about worst performance of the playoffs, oh, come on, but ben he, Simmons, at least he's is getting he really a star. I don't know. I think there are a number of players who deserve consideration in this conversation. I will say that you warned me coming into this podcast that you were gonna be coming off the top rope at the start, and I I'm a Just little be pissed off because I had to deal with all of your text messages about Kyrie's game during the actual Bucks Celtics game. Yeah, but so now those I were feel like jokes. Are reliving a nightmare here? Those in were jokes. Public or semi public or whatever this forum is? This is serious. Uh, those were jokes. This is serious. <laughs>
1: Come on. If you want to be accountable and you want to be able to hold hard into this impossible standard that he's never going to be able to reach, you at least need to turn around and say, hey, another guy who everybody views as a top five point guard. Had the worst game that we've seen from a star player play. Just because you're a Celtics fan,
0: I no, because this is why we have to be careful recording podcasts late at night because they get a little too personal. I'm not holding Harden to any impossible standards. All I'm asking for is don't go out and suck. Don't be half as effective
1: in the playoffs. So what did Kyrie do in game two? What else would you call it? He was worse than Harden. Sucked. Okay, thank you. Finally. Okay, I'll I'll take that. I mean, it's not quite as far as I wanted you to go. I mean, I could have used a little more oomph. Compare him to a vacuum cleaner (laughs) or something, but I'll take it. I'll take that, and we can move forward.
0: There we go. Let's move forward. I do enjoy any sort of dispatch from your afternoon serenity walks. I thought that you were going to somehow turn around and compare me to the snail but I like the image of you as like the cliffhanger, like Sylvester Stallone. Did you ever see that movie in the mid-90s?
1: No, that's pop culture, Andrew. I don't do that, but it sounds <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, there we go.
0: Pop culture is risky on this podcast. Uh, we will not be reviewing the Game of Thrones Battle, battle of Winterfell on here. But um, Ben, we've successfully buried the lead. We need to talk Sixers. No. We delayed recording the podcast so that we could talk Sixers-Raptors game three and going into Sixers-Raptors game three, I had absolutely no idea what to expect because the game one was so dominant from Toronto and game two, I'm still not sure exactly how the Sixers won. But Ben, it turns out for the second straight playoff series, we have come on the podcast and successfully shamed the 76ers into saving their season. Uh, we have not gotten many official thank yous from either the team or any of our Sixters listeners out there. But clearly, the players themselves were listening on Monday afternoon when we basically came on here and said they just have no chance at solving these Raptors problems. Jimmy Butler looked hopeless next to Kawhi. And here we are, the Sixers just whooped Toronto's ass. It was incredible. You forced me to wait an hour after the buzzer so that you could do your press conference recording. What are your thoughts here on where we are with this series?
1: You're going to have to get over this bitterness, Andrew, okay? I do it for the world, not just for you, and you can sacrifice one hour of sleep so that everybody (laughs) else can take in the most important storylines. Look, when Nick Nurse is dropping dimes like, our biggest adjustment is playing harder, you darn right I'm going to be staying up and and capturing that and sharing that with the entire Twitter universe. Now, there was a lot going on both in this game and game two. When I watched Game 2, first of all, I didn't really recognize the Raptors team that showed up. I was really disappointed in their effort, and in the back of my mind, I thought, huh, there's a long way to go in this series, but I think they're going to regret their performance because Embiid was basically a zero. It wasn't necessarily his fault. Uh, He was really sick, as he let everybody know afterwards, Uh, but... Uh he also did make one really nice play late so let's give him credit for that. You know that's one more well, play than two. than Kyrie had the
0: pass the the cross court pass to Jimmy and then the the finish at the end was really really impressive considering oh. how bad he'd been on offense all night.
1: No it's a great point. Two more plays than Kyrie made in his game too. So great point there. <laughs> oh, uh. Are we gonna
0: do this the entire podcast. <laughs> I will quit the podcast.
1: Okay. Um I just thought that they were going to regret letting that one slip away with a flat effort and looking a little bit back on their heels, surprised by Philly's adjustment and everything else. Um, I expected a team that's veteran, you know, that's been through some of these disappointments before, that's tried to tell us, uh, you know, what they're made of and how we've got them all wrong and everything else to come back in a much better shape than game three. And instead, Philly just blitzed them I mean, they were not ready for it. And it's like this series has started, guys. Uh, I don't know what... Uh, their mentality is at all. I don't know how they explain this, but it's kind of fun to play the game from the Raptor side of like who gets to be the scapegoat because the list is so long. It's like, you know, we used to do those roundtables at SI where we'd have like seven different people weigh in and it would always get annoying mm-hmm. because we'd all say the same person. This is like the legit roundtable question where every single person could have a different <laughs> answer and we could blame everybody. We can blame Kyle. We can blame Marcus Gasol. We can blame... Uh, you know Norman Powell, Sergi Bach, I'm sure is a popular pick. Fred Van VanVleet. I mean, the list goes on and on. You could probably blame Nick Nurse too if you want. Um, yep. I have a feeling that the Raptors fan base is not going to take this loss well.
0: Well, yeah. You could also throw Masai Ujiri into the oh. mix as well. I mean, he's been like more or less Teflon over the last twelve months. But you look at that bench. And I'm not saying that I would criticize Masai, but I think that the questions are warranted. And I'm sure that some Raptors fans are going to look at the end of the bench and be like, all right, so how did this happen? (laughs) Because they were playing Jody Meeks in game two, and that alone was a red flag that's probably set off some alarm bells. Um, It certainly did with me. I don't know, man. I, I think the things that have changed, Embiid guarding Siakam was huge in game two. That continued in game three. Because basically, if you're going to sit back and make Siakam a shooter and, and contain him around the rim and even in the mid-range, which Embiid is long enough to do, like that cuts his offense in half and makes him half as effective. And, um, and then when you remove Siakam as a effective second option next to Kawhi, there's just not much there. I mean, like Gasol was a zero again. Lowry was a zero, potentially even less than a zero. I mean, like
1: yeah, it was, was just a mess. Math lesson, he was a minus 28. So significantly less than <laughs> so. a zero. Uh, no, good point yeah. on the, the Siakam neutralization. There's no question. And if you kind of flip it around, uh, you know, like you were saying, they crunch Toronto's court a little bit, but then Embiid actually starts to hit three pointers for once. And all of a sudden, Philly's court looks pretty wide, doesn't it? Uh, it's amazing yep. what uh, impact that had. And then of course, the pick and roll they're running with him Uh, and Jimmy Butler, where you're basically just saying, hey, here's our two best players. Let's see what they could do offensively. Everybody else watch it. And Toronto seemingly having no answer for it. I know a lot of people are kind of grumbling after game two. It's like, what are they doing having Ibaka play against Embiid? Uh, this is you know ripe for exploitation, and they kind of came back and did it again in Game Three, and like sure enough, <laughs> fully exploited. Uh, and I think you know Nick Nurse, I mean he's he's gonna have a late night tonight. You know him and his staff are gonna be up you know with with black coffees, no no cream and sugar at two a.m. trying to figure out what they're doing for Game Four.
0: Yeah, it, it's rough because they'd certainly seemed like they were out of ideas in the middle of Game Three, and. I can't pin it entirely on Nick Nurse because guys like Ibaka have got to be better than they have been. And I mean, really, like everyone outside of Kawhi and Siakam, and I said this two weeks ago, like I don't trust any of these guys. Unfortunately, they were so dominant in game one that I kind of threw all that out the window and was just like, look, the fit here is incredible. Kawhi is the best player left in the East, maybe the best player left in the playoffs. Toronto looks awesome and now I I regret all of it because like literally I was up in Canada. I feel bad I was having conversations with people being like hey like I might see you again in June hopefully it'll be warmer like uh, lol and then like that's really smart by you
1: good covering you know good covering your butt you know planting some seeds trying to make some friends international exchanges you know i really appreciate that you know what i was no, no
0: i was seriously look i felt good about trusting the raptors for the first time in my professional life so i was talking to raptors employees and being like look I never believed in you guys. I gotta be honest with you here. Like I've doubted you every step of the way, but this year feels different. And so I guess a couple days in Toronto sort of made me a termite as well. And I was um, gonna say
1: you, you went up there and you became one of those animals at the amusement parks. You're you know you're fitting yourself with a termite termite <laughs> disguise. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. The funniest part to me though is we got an email from a guy named Julian who, whose subject line was "Kawhi Leonard is playing like MJ." He says, just watching game three, this feels like the first time since MJ I've seen an NBA player play so effortlessly, gliding by defenders, always instinctively having the right move, shooting and dunking, just playing in a gym with some kids. Then, like 15 minutes later, he writes back, never mind. And, and in the last minutes uh, of that game, I mean, of course, Kawhi played well, right? There's no doubt. I mean, he, he is making it look easy at times. But didn't we see that? I don't want to be here. The hashtag he gone. Distant gaze on the bench from Kawhi Leonard. I mean, he looked. I mean, like he was. Dude. He was <laughs> no. picturing maybe a sandcastle in San Diego. Or here's the thing. Here's the thing. You have not given Kawhi his
0: proper due almost the entire season, and certainly over the last two weeks, he's been amazing. And if he had a, a gaze at the end of the game, it's because they were down 25. I can't blame him for kind of spacing out in the final
1: minutes. I will say this no, on the He Raptors just looked like he though. was thinking Uncle Dennis really thought Kyle Lowry was the guy. Like, this is what Uncle Dennis <laughs> came up with. That was the look on his face, man. I'm telling you.
0: Well, speaking of Uncle Dennis, I have someone in my life. My Uncle John, he's like my second uncle. We go to Wizards games together, um, and he's just full of dad takes, basically. Like, he's in his mid-50s, diehard Hoops fan, and he texts me about four minutes into the first quarter of Sixers Raptors and says, Kawhi either needs to force Toronto to trade Kyle Lowry or he's got to get the hell out of there. He will never go anywhere with Kyle Lowry and Danny Green in the starting lineup. It's all very
1: sad. I'm telling and you, so- Kawhi's look was your uncle's text in human form. Like he was the emoji. He was the the staring off. I don't want to be here. Get me out of here. Emoji face.
0: Yeah, well, okay. So we should return to the Sixers side of this in a minute. But I do wonder, so like, if Kawhi is not going to be in Toronto long-term, where do you think he ends up this summer? Because he had stretches in this game where he really did look like the best player in the league and one of the best isolation scorers we've seen in like 20 years. I mean, it was like watching him with this particular Raptors team, or at least the version we saw in Game 3, he was like Steph Curry on Davidson where like nobody else could do anything but it didn't necessarily matter for various stretches because Kawhi was just so good he could get whatever he wanted. I mean, I'm still completely blown away by how great he's been in these playoffs. So I think it's like becoming a much bigger story as we go here like this guy's gonna be a free agent and nobody has any idea what he'll do. So like do you have any
1: sense do you have any dreams for him and where he should end up? What do you think? I do have some dreams for him. After game six between the Clippers and the Warriors, uh, Joe Lakeup went over and gave a, a handshake, of, you know, congratulatory kind of handshake with Steve Ballmer. You know, thanks for playing and all that. And I put up a picture of it and I was joking to somebody next to me after I posted it. I said, hey, that's the $50 billion handshake. Um, and her name is Sabrina. She's a Clippers writer. She does a great job. She was like, wait, are you sure? 50 billion? That sounds like a lot. So we Googled it. Joe Lakup was worth 1.5 and Steve Ballmer <laughs> was worth 48.5. And we both looked at each other and were like, wait a minute, Steve Ballmer's worth 48.5? That doesn't sound right. Is that
0: a real number? Are you serious? It's a
1: real number. So we Googled it, Andrew. It turns out Microsoft stock has doubled in value over the last decade. So They've become one of the very most valuable companies in the entire world, kind of under the radar when nobody was paying attention. And so I was starting to think like, wow, if the Warriors are kind of being accused of like doing all these things, like how are they keeping these players? How are they getting these guys to kind of take discounts? Like what could Ballmer really do if he just decided to like circumvent every NBA salary cap rule? And like put your entire <laughs> family on the payroll and so forth. So I guess my that was a long windup to say Kawhi Leonard should go play for the Clippers. He should get about twenty five of his family members' jobs in the Clippers organization, all being paid uh-huh. directly by Steve Ballmer. This guy's got so much money. Uh, you you know you got to go for where the best ownership is, and obviously money uh, makes a big difference. And by the way, I think if Kevin Durant leaves the Warriors, he should play for the Clippers too. I know it probably won't happen. I understand yeah. all this Nick stuff, but those two guys should go to L.A. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with Sports Illustrated's Open Floor Podcast. Keeping a healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? You eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise to get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate down. Woo. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can do it with your eyes closed. It's Sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side. Your Sleep Number setting its the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, for a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen now for only seventeen You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. That's www.sleepnumber.com.
0: Okay, so Durant and Kawhi have a complicated history. Durant has publicly called Kawhi a system player on a couple different occasions. He, he said it first in 2014, and in 2016, he refused to... Recant, And I think that there's probably some simmering tension that would complicate no, that's any fine. kind of dream team with those two. Kawhi can just but,
1: play defense. He doesn't have to come over half court. And Kev can just play offense. He doesn't have to come over half court. They can make it work. I think that's the whole point with Kawhi, though. His offense is
0: Absolutely on Durant's level right now, I which is crazy to think about. I don't know. It
1: I, I really here's the thing. I really disagree with that because I think he's getting a lot of attention because he's scoring so well in isolation, but is that the best way to play? I mean, I think I've yeah, got one question. I've been, you know, kind of making fun of him a little bit about okay, he's in and out of the lineup, this and that, but Um, you know, chemistry wise, everybody's falling by the wayside. They don't seem to have that offensive system to kind of make each other better. Even in game one, it was the Kawhi show and the Pascal show and everybody else was just kind of standing around watching. And for a lot of that Orlando Magic series, it was just like, hey, here's Kawhi beating up on some kids who can't guard him. Is that the best way to play basketball? If we're going to criticize James Harden for being too ISO heavy and not really playing within a team framework and, you know, eventually hitting an upper limit on how far your team can go playing that way, Don't we have to Mm -hmm. apply a similar standard to Kawhi?
0: Well, we would, except that Kawhi has been twice as effective playing that style so far. And so I think that has to matter as well. If you want to say that Durant is a better creator and can exist within a motion-heavy offense, but like...
1: No, slow down, slow down. When did Kawhi win playoff games as the number one lead option on an offense? He hasn't done that. I mean, I mean he game got injured one
0: against the Sixers.
1: Okay, and uh, you he beat the Orlando Magic. That's going to oh, that's going to Trump James Harden's multiple runs to the Western Conference Finals. Come on.
0: All right. So are you saying that you would rather have James Harden than
1: Kawhi because I disagree. As a lead off uh lead option of any lead offense, yes I would.
0: Okay, well, then we agree to disagree on that front. I think that Kawhi is probably the most talented ISO scorer alive right now. And um, and Durant but is great in a lot of different ways. Don't you think- And may be the more complete offensive player who is slightly better overall, but I think it's those two and Steph are the three best players alive at this point.
1: But don't you think this playoffs has been kind of a referendum on this isolation basketball you love to glorify? Um,
0: no, that's not really my problem with, with Harden. The ISO game would work better if he added more diversity to his his offense, which at this point we now say on every podcast, I mean, that's a whole separate conversation. But I'm just the bottom saying, line is is t- Isn't is
1: team-oriented basketball winning in these playoffs? I think that's my point. Like when we've looked at these best teams and how they play when they're really humming, whether it's the Golden State Warriors, especially in, in, at times of their first round series, it's been kind of a grind here in the second round. Uh, if we look mm-hmm. at the Milwaukee Bucks in terms of how they played in game two of their series, if we look at how Boston was getting scoring from, all five positions in their game one victory and and frankly, how Philly was playing uh, in game three in terms of keeping the ball, you know, moving around and, and getting balanced attack. Isn't that the way these teams are winning? So why are we saying Kawhi Leonard's like this God who has to be respected and he's this incredible player? Um, I think that it is a little bit too early to make
0: definitive statements about what style of basketball is winning because a lot of what the Warriors are winning with is Kevin Duran in isolation and him hitting incredible shots. And so like, I, I understand what you're saying, but that's their and third I think option. if you're going to nitpick Kawhi's game, what you do is say you need to double this guy, he is still only ordinary as a creator, and that's kind of his kryptonite, and that is a valid criticism. But what I would say is that beyond that criticism, he is just like A-plus in every other category. And talk to Sixers fans this week who will say, playing that dude is goddamn terrifying. (laughs) Like he is the Terminator come to life on a basketball court. And I guess, he's also I, a free agent this summer. Yeah, I, I just, think
1: it's a huge story. I don't see it winning a title, if that's your style of play. I just don't see it, especially not this year. I also think Golden State's well, isolation success from Kevin Durant, is that's like their uh-huh. third or fourth option on offense, right? They're they're moving the ball well. They're taking care of the ball well in this series. It's just been a real ugly, kind of grinded out type series. And they go to that as their backup plan, right? that's how a lot of playoff, plan,
0: playoff right? settings... That's, that's how a lot of playoff games go but not always they, they I mean they've won break down and they've won you need the ISO scores
1: but that's they, the whole point they've also won multiple titles by you know with their first and second option the ball movement the three-pointers and everything else look if, if Steph's going to be in foul trouble yes they're going to you know default to the Kevin Durant setting if he's going to just be on a tear and not miss a shot for two weeks straight of course they're going to ask him uh you know to go ahead and do that but just like you're calling on James Harden to have more diversification in the types of scoring that he's doing you can transcend that out to the whole level and say you have to have. to uh, the team level, and say so you have to have more than one way you're going about doing this. And right now for Toronto, when they're grinding down, they only have one answer. They don't have any counters, and that's why they're getting clogged up, and that's why they're not good enough. And I think we've seen some teams, not only the Warriors, yeah. but other teams, have much more uh, layered offensive approaches, You know, much more balanced offensive approaches. And I think we've seen, since the start of the Warriors era... That's the way you win in the playoffs. It really is. Having multiple different things you can do, not just getting stuck into one way. And I question whether uh, Kawhi has the the other layers because he's not really that good of a playmaker for his teammates. He's just not.
0: Okay. Well, this is a stupid argument to have because his teammates currently suck. So I don't, I'm not sure what you want Kawhi to do when you talk about the lack of counters that Toronto has. It's not really... That's not a Kawhi problem. That's a Kyle Lowry problem. That's a... Marcus All problem. That's a Danny Green is not hitting open shots problem. Um, but I I hear your point. I just think I wouldn't overstate yeah, it because you love
1: to do this. You pick your favorite stars and you say their teams are all trash around them. You make excuses for them left and right. I mean, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. Would
0: you Would you disagree? I mean, look up and down. You at You weren't saying the this Raptors Raptors after game roster. one.
1: You said you just said five minutes ago. You thought the Raptors were going to make the finals, and you were trying to make friends in I Canada did. so you didn't get shamed out of the building when you went back there for the finals.
0: Yeah, well, I absolutely did. And then the like Kyle Lowry turned into a pumpkin. And uh, so getting back to the original question, I think your clippers thing is interesting, first of all, because in the past, we have talked about Steve Ballmer and I have said verbatim on the podcast. He's got like five or ten billion. I don't know exactly how much. A lot of money, basically. Had no idea. He had forty-eight and a half billion dollars. That is unbelievable. Um, so don't most incredible you think for real, revelation of the night.
1: Like, if you can get your your high school coach hired as an assistant coach at some of these programs as like a package deal, don't you think he should just have every single Leonard family member? under contract, you know, just add them to a whole department, build them their own wing of the Clippers, you know? Maybe,
0: yeah. Whatever's legal, he should be doing it, and he clearly could be doing it. Um, In a basketball context, though, I just want to throw this out there. The Clippers are pretty overrated as a free agent destination, as far as I'm concerned. I think that's one of those things that sounds great on NBA Twitter – just like going to the Brooklyn Nets sounds great, and everyone is like, why wouldn't you consider this? This is a no-brainer. This team plays hard. They're full of, like, grinder role players. But if you actually make that decision and put your career and your prime in the hands of Shea Gilgis Alexander and Montrez Harrell and, like, some of the other guys out there who I have loved watching – but are also like still solidly C plus, B minus, B level contributors. Like you're still going to have an uphill battle to actually win a title and win stuff that actually matters. And um, I think that's worth considering as we imagine where Kawhi could be and watching him in these playoffs and thinking about his options this summer. The idea of him considering the Lakers is less crazy now than it was Dude, 4 or 5 on. months ago.
1: You're all over the map tonight. First of all, the Clippers Nets thing is just an absolutely atrocious comparison. You've got a sketchy owner in Brooklyn, a, uh, you know, a newbie coach That's with true. with barely any, uh, you know, track record. You got Shar Mar- Marks going after referees in the post game versus, you know, one of the most experienced and respected front offices in the league. You got a point guard who can't even get through TSA security. Uh, and then you know the talent on the rosters isn't even close, so I I reject that comparison entirely. Now, but what
0: talent is is currently present on the Clippers? Oh, roster I don't know the same talent that
1: just pushed Golden State to six games with a center uh, who looked like a I mean, small ball center who played the death line upgrade in Montrez look, Harrell, look, 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 bunch look, of flexible look, look, salaries. Look, 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 look. look, it's not <laughs> f- they're not full of all stars. They're definitely better than the Brooklyn Nets roster. You got to be kidding me with this.
0: They they are marginally better than the Brooklyn Nets roster. I just think we run the risk of overreacting to a six-game Clippers-Warriors series if we start to say all right, these are guys you need to take seriously been in great a championship all year. contending context.
1: They've been great all year. And it's not necessarily about, you know, you're going to drop onto a team like Kevin Garnett and turn them into Titleist immediately. But if you put Kawhi Leonard there, they're the two or three seed next year's Western Conference. No question about it. You put Kevin mm-hmm. Durant there, same deal. So you're pretty darn close. And now you're, you're in the recruiting game, just like everybody else, trying to get another piece. Uh, in terms okay. of landing spots, you compare them to the Knicks. Or the Nets or whoever else has cleared out space. I mean, to me, the Clippers have a lot structurally. uh, They definitely do. That those other organizations just don't have. With the Lakers thing, man, what are you talking about?
0: Yeah, I know. Look, I'm not a huge LeBron fan at this point in his career. The Lakers are an absolute mess. But if you're looking across the league at who he could actually pair with to go chase titles for the next couple seasons... I don't know. I mean, unless you're going to say that the Clippers are going to end up with Anthony Davis in addition to Kawhi, then I then obviously the Clippers are the best place in the league. Or if the Clippers are going to land Kyrie Irving in Kawhi, then clearly LA and the Clippers, I mean, are like far and away the best team for Kawhi. Um, but absent that and absent those dominoes falling, like, I don't know. There's no obvious answer out there. So... If he were to leave Toronto, it's it's kind of a crapshoot to me, which I think makes it even more intriguing. And again, like I, this is the craziest story in the NBA to me.
1: I really think that Uncle Dennis has not played this well. And I think if I was in Kawhi's shoes, I would want my next contract to be a long-term home, right? I would not want to have yeah, to exactly. play this deal of like, okay, we're going to go there and maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. You're trying to pick a place that's going to work out for as long as possible with the best chance as possible. You're telling me Rob Polinka genie bus lebron james lonzo ball like these are the people you're entrusting the rest of your I'm not, prime with. i'm not necessarily There's telling no you way. anything i know so i'm, I'm saying, saying like if you're going to compare those two again though it's like it, Kawhi. this is going to be a five-year plan for him where are the lakers going to be in five years it could get really yeah. really dark we can agree on that right absolutely we can and i'm not necessarily like
0: flying a lakers flag here but my only point is that like the idea that he leaves Toronto and then the Clippers are kind of the no-brainer choice for him, that also strikes me as a little bit short-sighted. So we'll see. We have to move on. We should talk about the other side of that game tonight because just in general with the Sixers, I think that in addition to some of the defensive adjustments that they have made to try and take away the strengths on the Raptors' side, I Jimmy Butler has been awesome in the last two games. And I think part of that is Jimmy just playing better again, open floor coming through and motivating him at the moment. It matters most. But um additionally, I really think that they are using him in a much smarter way. These past two games where they're using him almost entirely on the ball. They're running pick and rolls with him. Simmons is now playing more of that Draymond ish role where he's setting screens and then crashing the boards And it all just works. Game two was a really gritty, impressive win from them, where like a number of guys stepped up. Jimmy Butler was the star, and then game three tonight, like they just blew them off the court. And I, it's the most impressive game I've seen from this team, like probably throughout the Embiid era. It was was just wild.
1: Yeah, no question. I mean, uh, you know, it kind of comes back though. So like philosophically is this the kind of game that makes you want to re-sign butler like no matter what like is he now part of your core has yeah. he has he like convinced you that look you could ride this butler and bead pairing you know for the next two or three postseason and it really could get you somewhere uh if so then you got to wonder well with simmons like you know how is this fitting because he's sacrificing a lot right and again do you think Simmons conceives of this version of the Sixers as being the way that he wants to win? Um, yeah. and, and I think he's going to be okay with it in the short term, but the clock is ticking there. You know, you can't have a number one uh, pick who's as talented as him being moved you know, out of the primary offensive action to basically stand around and watch as the other guys do it. That's that's a ticking time bomb. And I understand, you know, it's not going to blow up, you know, before the end of the postseason. But at some point, Uh it it gets back to that existential question. We're like, okay, how much is this short-term benefit really worth here uh, for your organization?
0: Yeah, and that's going to be really interesting to watch. It's funny because we've had a couple Sixers fans come out of the woodwork to give us grief about burying this team at various points throughout the playoffs. And like, there are things we say on the podcast that I ultimately come to regret. Usually when that happens, it's because I, I say something on here that I don't actually mean and it kind of is easily misconstrued. There's nothing we've said about the Sixers that I regret over the last couple weeks. It's like, you know what? All of these questions are valid and they like all of the concerns are still there in plain sight. uh, And yet it is starting to click a little bit more. And I think what you're alluding to is interesting with Simmons, because to me, I think that this is the best version of his game. I think that, the best version of his career is probably becoming like an out of this world version of Draymond on offense, instead of trying to be a bad facsimile of Giannis on offense. And so I don't know if I necessarily share the concerns with the way he's being used, but the question with Simmons that I've always asked and that you just asked is like, is he going to be happy with that? And, um, I don't know if any of that's going to matter over the next few weeks, but I think you're right to raise it going forward when you think about how this team fits over the next few years. Um, But for now, I think like everyone around the Sixers is probably just pumped to see them finally kind of clicking At the perfect time here because it's it's all kind of like coming together. It's and it's been pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, and I think if you're Simmons, you have to look in the mirror and admit it looks a lot better when Jimmy's doing it than when you're doing it. Exactly. You know, and that's really tough to swallow. And that's you know, you're not gonna be hearing that from your friends and the people around you. That's not the message they're gonna be saying, Oh, good job sacrificing, just keep sacrificing, bide your time, it'll work out. That's not the message that most people hear in the NBA. The message is hey, man, like, where are your touches? Where are your numbers at? Like, we Get your numbers up. Get your, you know, get your roll up. And so you know, yeah. that, that's what that's what I worry about a little bit longer term uh, rather than short term. Look, as long as they're on this joyride, people are going to be happy, but it doesn't last when you've got this many people fighting for the ball. That's my point.
0: Yeah. Well, and we'll also see what version of Embiid we're getting night to night because game two, he really did look limited. And granted, he had the gastrointestinal issues of... But like game three tonight, that was peak Embiid. And I don't know really where that came from because we haven't seen that version of him throughout most of these playoff games. No, that um, windmill dunk if, was wild, man.
1: I mean, that was he, that was truly special. As somebody who has kind of questioned, okay, what's he really going to be able to do night to night? I mean, that was a special performance all in all. And he capped it off with some just awesome, you know, like the, the kind of things that get you out of your seat if you're a fan. Uh, that make an entire city, you know, remember why they sat through multiple years without you playing and and all that stuff. I mean, that probably felt like a very validating moment. And, uh, you know, so good for them.
0: Yeah, it was great. And they're getting big performances from Greg Monroe and James Ennis. It's like, across the board, the craziest team in the entire NBA continues to be crazy as hell. So um, hats off to the Sixers. And on the, on the Raptors side, I don't think we need to overdo it because I do think that they're going to come back Sunday and it's going to be close. It's going to be a war. This series probably has a, a couple more twists along the way, uh, but I am shocked by how bad some of these guys have been. Do you have anything more from the termites? Um, I know you were talking to some people up there.
1: I got some testimonials <laughs> from the termites. Okay, here, here it comes. Uh, okay. First one. It's just, this is like a series of text messages that I didn't get a chance to reply to because I was working on a story earlier. So I'm just going to read them pretty quickly. The first one's just the screaming sound. Ah, I'm extremely (laughs) annoyed. Extremely annoyed. Nick is sticking with Surgeon on Embiid. It makes no sense. Fred is dot, dot, dot. Really bad. I don't get it. They're going to need 50 from Kawhi. It's the only way. God, this game is infuriating. The Sixers have made adjustments to their adjustments and the Raptors haven't even made the first round adjustments. Uh, It goes on from there. Uh, Serge and Fred have been really bad. They're your scapegoats, no question about it. They're playing Patrick McCaw. What the heck is happening? And then dot, dot, dot. This feels like Cleveland. It's awful. I did (laughs) not see this coming. I I thought the game two was going to be a loss but this is so bad. And then F word. I thought they were going to sweep the Sixers and I am never confident in this team. You know that about me. Now, where are we? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, I Yeah, those are the people I feel really
0: bad for because they they all had their guard up the entire year. And the second they let it down and began to actually think about the possibilities for this team. It all came crashing down. The only thing I would add, was that the person who was texting you as a follow-up to the show earlier in the week and, and hating on me for complaining about the cold in Canada? No,
1: that was another person. Look, I explained to you when I when I made fun of you for not bringing your coat to, to Canada that all canadians are going to be defensive and get you know basically into denial mode about how bad their weather is and they they were mm-hmm. trying to tell me that they were barbecuing outdoors last week because <laughs> it was warm <laughs> enough well, to do that you know
0: what man that made it even worse because i i had people like other beat writers being like it's not that cold come on like it's fine out here and it was 40 degrees it was 35 degrees some of the mornings of shoot around oh.
1: And I'm telling you, man. They don't understand how weather works up there. It's warped their <laughs> brains. It's fine. Like you just, you know, you kick the beehive for sure. But everything you said yeah. about the weather was right. But their main counter was you should have brought a coat, and I can't disagree with that because I said the same thing. Here's one no, more.
0: No, and that's the thing. That's the thing. It's not my fault for not bringing a coat and assuming that on April thirtieth we would clear 50 degrees and I could get away without a winter jacket, okay? Andrew, you're that's going- That's a you problem, Canada. That is not a me no, problem. That's a- And while we're here- <laughs> None of their credit card machines work properly. (laughs) So when you go to buy anything in Canada, it takes an extra 90 seconds that becomes incredibly inconvenient after you do it like five or 10 or 15 times throughout the day.
1: Okay, Broke Boy, get an American Express. The bottom line (laughs) is, if you're going 75% of the way to the North Pole, you have to bring a coat. That's on you. Control what you can control. I got one Uh more uh, just you know, really... Uh, I
0: also couldn't watch Game of Thrones in Canada. It was, it was frustrating, oh, but that's more of an HBO oh problem. What it's a not shame. the Canadian government's fault. <laughs> what a
1: shame. Oh, boy. Um, okay, last thought here from one of the other uh, termites. William Blue, very talented writer up there. I think he summed it up better than we ever could. Familiar. Mm. Every year, we swear up and down that the Raptors are different. And every year, this same embarrassment hits us like a cold shower. It's never just that the Raptors lost. It's that they got punked again. The aftermath of these moments just leaves you numb and dumbfounded because the Raptors can just never escape this horror. It's hard to even be furious after six years. It goes far beyond that. It just feels fundamentally broken no matter what they do. And I think the worst part of that is realizing that they could be a, you know, a 36-win team next year if Kawhi leaves. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, they absolutely could be. And yet the series is not over at all. And so that's why I understand where the Raptors are coming from or the Raptors fans, that is, in terms of like the scar tissue that this kind of reopens. I don't know if you can reopen scar tissue. You can certainly reopen old wounds. And that's what game three did in Philly. But like they're not completely out of it. So on that note, I would say let's. Let's move on to the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, but I don't think the Raptors are as buried as they seem after that 20-point loss.
1: Don't you agree, though, if they lose game four, it's over in five?
0: Um, I think I might agree with that, yes. In part because like, that's where the chemistry may matter for the Raptors, where there's just so much in flux. Marcus Saul has been there for six weeks. Kyle Lowry... Has a really complicated relationship with the team at this point. Kawhi and Danny Green are free agents. And I think game five down 3-1 is when a team would have to like band together and be really mentally tough to keep the series going and to really believe that they have a chance. And I don't know if that toughness and that kind of chemistry and cohesion is there for the Raptors at this point. Yeah,
1: for sure. And Kawhi might need to sit that one out for a rest too. So, you know, it's... <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just can't
1: resist, no, I'm just kidding. No, oh. I also think, though, adding on to what you just said there, down 3-1 going back home, it's the worst environment in front of those home fans because... If they're yeah, feeling this point. bad after two straight losses, what happens after three? You know what I mean? And you'd feel that in the building. And that's when all that Cancun talk and all the other stuff that people say about guys' you know, minds wandering and checking out a little bit would really hit that team hard. Um, all this being mm. said, it feels like we're overly bearing Toronto. I feel like we should predict a Game 4 win for them. Okay. Well, I, I don't know.
0: Our track record is murky, okay? We've we've saved the Sixers and brought the Sixers back to life twice by burying them. So I think we better stick with burying the Raptors and then maybe this series will go seven.
1: Okay, Uh, I guess, whatever.
0: (laughs) All right, fine. Um, But moving on, today's show is brought to us by Pro Flowers. Don't forget to thank the real pros this Mother's Day because where would you be without your mom? Pro Flowers is an easy way to let your mom, your spouse or any mother in your life know that you care. You can choose from a variety of bouquets and unique vases that suit every mom's style. Then simply select the delivery date that you want, and you're done. And Ben, um, I said this on the last podcast. I was genuinely really impressed by the pro flowers that I got. They sent me some flowers, a bouquet of roses, and um, they are cheaper and higher quality than the flowers that i typically get so whether you have a mom in your life or you just want to do something nice for your spouse pro flowers is a, is a very solid option
1: no doubt about it pro flowers carefully packages your flowers and delivers them fresh from the farm express delivery means her flowers stay fresh right now get one dozen assorted roses for just 19.99 Double the roses and get a premium vase for just $9.99 more. Visit proflowers.com, click the microphone in the upper right corner, and enter our promo code OPENFLOOR. That's proflowers.com, click the microphone, promo code OPENFLOOR. Mother's Day is May 12th, so don't wait. Order like a pro and get this amazing rose deal to thank all the moms and in your life. And Andrew, I got to say, you know, I was giving you a hard time earlier about the Celtics homerism and all that, but I'm, I'm very proud to report that you pronounce vase instead of saying it vase. You seem like a vase guy <laughs> to me, and I'm just glad that you're not.
0: Well, you know how I am with pronunciation. So every time I have to read vase slash vase in the copy there, it definitely stresses me out. But I, I appreciate you uh, supporting me along the way. Um, and on that note, let's talk Bucks Celtics quickly. Game three is Friday night. That is another game that is a complete toss-up to me. I will read this email from Tarek, uh, who says an entire conversation about Game One of Bucks Celtics, and barely a mention of the player that led both teams in points, assists, and plus-minus. Y'all really hate Kyrie. Yet somehow, despite having another bad game, you managed to compliment and discuss Steph Curry because of a single play. Now, I want to say a couple things about this email. Number one, Steph Curry hit the game deciding three, and that was the play that we were talking about. So, of course, we talked about Steph kind of salvaging things at the end. That was pretty impressive. Um, Number two, Tarek has been emailing us these long screeds about hating Kyrie Irving, for literally seven months. <laughs> and every three or four weeks, he will pop up to hold us accountable. I guess he he's grouping me in with you. And Tarek, if you're listening, I just want to know, I want you to know that I agree with almost everything you say about how Kyrie is underappreciated, or at least like half of my brain agrees, because I still have questions about Kyrie, uh, but that's part of the fun with him anyways. Um, so... I enjoy any time you check in to say that Kyrie is great and we're both full of shit because I'm mostly on the same page as you are. I think Kyrie's skepticism drives me insane. Having said all that, I don't think we need to rehash the Kyrie argument mm. and can can focus on some of the other well, elements. Andrew, we Buck mentioned Celtics. earlier
1: how Julian, you know, emailed in with the fact check of himself about Kawhi Leonard's play, you know, about 15 minutes after he emailed the comparison to Michael Jordan, he retracted it. Did we get another email from Tariq after game two?
0: <laughs> I don't know if we did. Oh yeah,
1: must have missed it. You know, sometimes your, yeah. your email address changes, you know, it, it happens.
0: Well, again, it's always an adventure with Kyrie. We'll we'll see where we are by the end of the series. Uh, look, because it, it, I have a lot of take equity invested in Kyrie, which is both exciting and terrifying.
1: In all seriousness, he played very well in game one. He's not facing the same level of defensive attention as guys like Steph or Harden or whoever else, you know, big time player. That's just not how that series has gone. I really thought, and I said this on the last podcast, Horford was the difference maker. He was the guy who won them game one. There's no question about it. Mm. Uh, he led their defensive charge. The defensive scheme is why they won that game. Giannis was so off balance. He couldn't get anything done. It wasn't about Boston's offense, which was impressive in game one. That win was about their defense. And as Giannis started to figure out their defense a little, a little bit in game two, you know things fell apart. I thought Boston... Uh, you know, also just shot the lights out overall, uh, you know, they were getting yeah. contributions from basically everybody, we knew that was going to kind of come back to earth a little bit. So one of the big things kind of to watch going forward is where does that settle in? Uh, and how much you know are Kyrie's fingerprints on, uh, you know, the, the supporting scores? How much is he doing to kind of create for others versus how much is he doing kind of one on one in isolation? Because it seems to me like Milwaukee is just saying, like, you know, you can kind of go out there and, and do what you want to do um well and they're giving him more attention
0: or they were in game two than they did in game one um like they're shading defenders over to him and it's going to be on the celtics guys to knock down shots which we knew coming in like the celtics this series is going to come down to good celtics players knocking down contested shots versus maybe i don't want to say bad bucks players but let, let's say like ordinary bucks
1: players yeah, how'd that fake shooters theory wide open shots? how'd that fake shooters theory go for you game two
0: you know what it's it's worked out pretty well except for the third quarter in game two so i feel comfortable with my analysis um, so all my, all the
1: celtic shooters are real shooters and all the Bucks shooters are fake shooters is that still still where we're at not fake
0: shooters, fake good shooters. Okay. And fake good shooters can still knock down shots every now and then. Oh my God, uh, and they did in the this. third quarter. <laughs> Look, I'm just telling you that like, if you're asking me, do I believe in Brooke Lopez and Nicola Miritich and Pat Connaughton? Like my answer is always going to be no. If we're talking about the highest levels of basketball, you just told me fake um, shooters
1: are good shooters. What am I supposed to do with this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it makes it's sense the people who understand basketball sorry ben um if fake shooters are but,
1: also good fake good shooters are also good shooters i, I mean what have
0: <laughs> literally i've <laughs> successfully turned no, your brain into a pretzel is, and rendered you speechless for the second time in two weeks it's just logical this. mush andrew you can see that it now you understand how i feel with your purpose versus a purpose delineation um We'll see where we are with Bucks celtics uh, after this weekend because I really don't know where it's going. I think Giannis did figure a couple things out in that third quarter, which he needed to because he was struggling again in the first half. And if we look back at those first two games, Giannis was was not as good as he needed to be for one and a half games, um, which is concerning for the Bucks. And yet like that third quarter was so dominant that maybe that's all that really matters if you're on the Milwaukee side. Um, I think coming into this series, one of the things I I highlighted was the Celtics are going to need Jason Tatum to be the best version of himself to actually win this series. And Tatum has been missing in action through these first two games. And so maybe that changes and the Celtics can kind of take control. But um, if he continues to struggle, like I said, like, They just need just enough offense to get this win, and they didn't have it in Game 2. The third quarter, like, the offense just died. And we saw that happen against the Pacers, and the Pacers suck. (laughs) So they couldn't take advantage of that, like, six or seven-minute stretch where the offense just kind of completely short circuits but the bucks were able to and blew the game wide open
1: yeah I mean I'm picking a Celtics win in game three uh for a couple of reasons first of all I just went all in on Kyrie for the first 10 minutes of the podcast so he's guaranteed to have 30 uh <laughs> <laughs> second of all Giannis got a lot of calls in the first half of game too I thought the he was getting that uh, the quote-unquote superstar treatment where the tv executives are like we need to milk this series for as many games as possible so let's yeah. make sure he gets the free throw line Uh, I'm kidding with the conspiracy talk, but he got a lot of calls there. Uh, That would be number two. And then number three, I mean, Eric Bledsoe first came back to Boston. It feels like he's given five interviews about, you know, kind of dreading this game and and dreading this moment. I don't feel very comfortable uh, with him and and sort of his up and downs, you know, walking into that pressure cooker. So for me, uh, you know, and also win it for Danny too. You know, I think there's going to be a real emotional uh, jolt there from, you know, what what he was going through. Yeah, so... Uh, that that to me sounds like a Boston win. I don't know about you.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's for all the factors you laid out. Like I was nodding my head at all that, but like this Bucks team is still really, really good. And and the one thing that did crystallize for me watching these first two games is like I feel pretty horrible about myself for looking at a series that essentially comes down to Giannis who is my favorite basketball player alive right now versus Horford, who is like every basketball nerd's favorite basketball player alive. And choosing Horford to win that battle in the end, like, I don't feel great about that whatsoever. And as I've said, I would love to visit Milwaukee, so...
1: Yeah, no, we um, know. You want to visit every city. You've covered every base. I mean, we, <laughs> we've been over that. You can't wait to hop onto the Giannis Inc. bandwagon again. I mean, it's... Oh, boy.
0: Um, <clears throat> It's late. All right, let's keep this moving from Bucks Celtics. Let's talk quickly about Blazers Nuggets. J.A. says... When the Blazers acquired Rodney Hood and Ennis Cantor to fill out their postseason roster, I thought it was subtraction by addition. And I have to say, I was wrong. I don't even have a question here. I'm just trying to model the behavior I expect from my children Great
1: accountability yeah, from JA. No a. kidding. I think and he's hitting,
0: great. Great performances from Rodney Hood in games one and two. How about that? I
1: think he's modeling some great behavior for you to pay attention to. I like this a lot, JA. I'm I'm right there with him. I had the same response with those signings. It's like, oh boy, what's going to happen? Are they ever going to be able to give you know meaningful minutes in the second round of the playoffs? And Cantor has already passed that test. I think he got worked pretty good in game one, but he gave them good minutes in game two. Hood, you know, giving them a much needed spark plug, uh, you know, at times in both those games, just because, you know, Evan Turner and some of these other guys have just kind of been disappearing or or MIA. I know Harkless is dealing with an ankle. I think that's been a problem. Uh, Aminu was a complete no show in in game one as well. So both those guys filling spots that were like, you know, potentially huge holes for them uh, in this series and, and, you know, giving, you know, more than they're earning. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, um, I love Roddy Hood sealing the game with that corner three to put the Blazers up 10 at the end of Blazers Nuggets. Uh, I That's one. I have trouble getting too excited about watching this Denver team, and I know that makes me um, vulnerable on the basketball internet. I might have to turn in my NBA Twitter card. It's just like beyond Jokic, who is every bit as dominant as everybody says, There's just not a lot that really like piques my interest on that Nuggets roster. And so I do hope that Portland handles their business in this series and and advances to the conference finals because I think seeing Lillard on that stage would be really, really cool. And beyond that, like this series beyond Rodney Hood is not that interesting to me. That's all I can say.
1: So a 22-year-old point guard sealing a series victory over San Antonio and then coming out and, and looking pretty good in game one doesn't get you excited in any way? I mean you 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 hype this no. guy D'Angelo Russell up like for months, right? We were about to talk about D'Angelo. You hype no, him I, up for months and then you know, Jamal Murray is actually doing some of the things that you thought D'Angelo Russell was going to be eh, able to do. Here's the but thing. you already rendered hear, your verdict no, no. on him, so you're afraid to jump ship
0: my heart was never really in the D'Angelo Russell hype. And if people listen to the podcast, no, if people listen to the podcast all season, we almost never talked about the Brooklyn Nets. It was strictly the first game of that first round series that brought it all coming back to me because I couldn't resist finger wagging at you and gloating a little bit. But I mean, like D'Angelo is fine. I would rather watch D'Angelo Russell play offense than Jamal Murray take these little nineteen footers and just like run around screens the entire game. I think D'Angelo Russell is is a little bit more entertaining than Jamal Murray. Um, and but if you're asking me, like Spurs Nuggets Game Seven, like I, yeah, that game didn't really do it for me, and I don't I don't yeah. necessarily know why God it's not a it's it's not a shot at the Nuggets. I'm just this that's where I am with this team. Like I, they're all young. But I don't know if that necessarily correlates to a, a higher long-term ceiling for them. Um, I mean, like, they're fine.
1: Yeah, God forbid winning and, and, you know, clutch shots gets you excited. I can just tell you this. When I look at... Was it that clutch? They almost blew like a massive lead to the Spurs. Yeah, 23 points in a game seven from a 22-year-old point guard. I mean, look, all I could say about D'Angelo Russell is this. It doesn't matter if it's a TSA.
0: <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is this your official statement on the matter? It
1: is my official statement on the matter. It doesn't matter if it's a TSA x-ray machine or defensive game film. D'Angelo Russell is going to get exposed by the videotape. Okay. It will always happen. Wherever you look, it's going to happen. Now, Jamal Murray is out there going head to head with Damian Lillard, who just slayed Russell Westbrook. Like it was nothing. And he's holding his own. This guy is 22 years old. He's about to. He's on the brink. He's
0: not holding his own. Gary Harris is guarding Damian Lillard. First of all, but yeah, Jamal Murray's fine. I'm just saying he scored 23 points in
1: Game One on efficient shooting. Like he's doing his job. He's not crumbling like you told us he was going to crumble. And look, he's not there every night. The the inconsistency issue is absolutely true. But you haven't given him credit yet for the things that he's actually done in this postseason, and it's been pretty darn impressive. That
0: isn't true. (laughs) Here's the thing. Jamal Murray came out and saved their season. I've given the Nuggets credit. What they've done is really, really impressive. Jamal Murray in Game 2 against the Spurs was crazy. Jamal Murray and the Nuggets winning, I believe it was Game 4 against the Spurs, was also crazy. Like, that team has had some really gutsy wins along the way. All I am saying is purely from a subjective standpoint... I'm not that into them one way or another. I'm not saying they're frauds. I'm not saying Jamal Murray's a fraud. I'm just like, I'm having trouble getting very excited about this series, <laughs> uh, which is not necessarily good radio, but it's honest radio. So I had to sort of like throw that in there as we talk about Blazers Nuggets. Okay,
1: here's good radio 24 in a win, 24 in a win, 23 in a win. 23 in a win. 23 in a win. Those are Jamal Murray's facts, man. He's played pretty darn well this postseason. I think he's a reason to tune yeah. in. People should be watching. Uh, Harris has had some okay. nice moments. Torrey Craig is, you know, bleeding for the team, you know, taking broke. <laughs> Torrey Craig is awesome. <laughs> <He's> taking- <laughs> li-
0: I, I really like Torrey Craig. I like Malik Beasley too. And, and Jokic is, is really, really good. The one thing that I am kind of I don't know, it it irks me seeing all these different people turn around and say, oh, I thought Jokic was going to struggle in the playoffs. Like, he's had some favorable matchups early on, and the Spurs were basically, like, the perfect team for him to have, like, a soft landing in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. And going against Cantor is pretty good too. I mean, he, he couldn't have scripted that any better if, if they had had to deal with Harden. I mean, they would have been out in round one to me. If they had to deal with the Warriors, it would be, you know, four or five games. I mean, there's no question that there's a a gap between them and, and, you know, stylistically how those other teams, you know, more experienced with, you know, more deadly playmakers would be able to exploit him, but he's still doing his thing, man. He's an incredible stats. Uh, He's, you know, step forward as a scorer at times. He's distributed, you know, throughout the entire postseason. He's kept them together in tense moments. You know, we talk a lot about the leadership of guys like Dame uh, or, you know, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant stepping up and and pulling guys through things. I mean, Jokic did the same thing. He does it a different way. It's that, you know, kind of quiet, you know, aw shucks, you know, nonchalant, you know, no ego type approach. Uh, You got to give him credit for all that stuff. And I'm actually looking forward to the rest of this series because just like the other ones in the East it's difficult to predict. I mean, you know, it kind of goes back and forth. It swings, you know, Portland's game two win was impressive, but uh, especially because Dame didn't play that well and everybody else was able to step up and kind of, you know, pull them across the finish line. But it wasn't like that commanding road performance where like you steal home court advantage and all of a sudden like the whole sh- uh, series shifts, you know what I mean? It, it wasn't, You yeah. didn't really have that feel.
0: Yeah, it, it kind of felt ugly. I appreciated Jokic for coming out afterward and saying, honestly, It was a weird game. We didn't even feel like they played their best game. And then immediately everybody compared him to Paul George and called him a sore loser. But like, I think that was Jokic just being like, I don't know what exactly happened tonight. Like it was just a a strange game for both teams. And I really do like Jokic. um, And it's been cool to see him thrive early on. I'm just, I'm I'm working on getting there with the Nuggets as a team. But um, we'll see where it all goes. The D'Angelo Russell arrest, I did have that on here. He wasn't arrested, Um, though, just
1: cited. Let's not blow this out of proportion, okay?
0: (laughs) Well, let's let's be very clear. You said you wanted to make one quick statement on D'Angelo Russell. And I could not have imagined that it was going to be as groan-inducing as it was. (laughs) But I should have known better, to be frank. Uh, And the D'Angelo thing... I can't believe he did that. Really? Uh, You were that surprised? (laughs) I mean, a little bit, right? Like, I just feel like, all right, so D'Angelo Russell has exercised some questionable judgment in the past. We know that. But logistically speaking, you have to know going through airport security that they're going to flag any liquids. I think maybe the problem is that He has flown private for so much of his NBA career that he just doesn't understand how TSA works. Uh, But, like, saving that excuse, which is actually plausible, like, it's the dumbest thing in the world. And marijuana should be legal. He shouldn't be getting in trouble for something like that. But I just—the judgment and and really— the execution of his plan is just
1: shockingly stupid is it also possible he thought i'm d'angelo russell so even if they found the liquid they're not going to take it away from me because i'm d'angelo russell (laughs) no i don't think so i think clearly he understood that he uh he has to be careful with the
0: weed but man what a horrible horrible plan that one i to me i think That is going to follow him more than the Nick Young stuff because this is just
1: objectively hilarious. There's only way that that happens is if the Nets are like, you know, on moral grounds, we can't give you a max contract anymore. Like they would have to like ship him out and have this be the reason why he's not still there for it to explode at the same level as the Nick Young thing.
0: I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to watch a D'Angelo Russell game without him, without thinking of him hiding weed in a Arizona iced tea that was guaranteed to be flagged by
1: airport security. Um, It's just unbelievable to me. Well, that's your guy, Uh, Team Sharp Captain. You could be watching Jamal Murray. (laughs) Instead, (laughs) this is what we've got
0: yeah he's not i don't know i i don't blame you for making me own d'angelo russell for the entirety of our podcasting careers i am going to do the same to you and ben simmons and so that's just the way the ball is going to bounce uh but moving on one final question here from friend of the podcast and noted bucks psychopath ben thompson he tweeted this he didn't send it into the podcast uh specifically but i talked to ben about the books basically every week now um and he said who is the better player in general draymond green or al horford what do you think ben i'm really curious i think there are a lot of layers
1: to this conversation i take draymond what are the layers
0: well okay so the layers that i see are draymond is the best defensive player alive so that's number one um point in his favor Al Horford is very very good and is also a good shooter. Draymond offensively is a very good creator. I think sometimes he gets overrated as a playmaker. Like he's he's good, but he's good specifically in that Warriors context. Like I'm not sure how valuable he would be on a decent team as an offensive player and as a and as a secondary playmaker. And I also wonder whether his weaknesses would hurt more if he were not playing next to two, now currently three, of
1: the greatest shooters the NBA has ever seen. So what's your argument for Al Horford? Just that he's pretty good well, on Horford, defense and he can shoot a little bit? Horford is just kind of great at
0: everything and stays out of the way, and you could slide him on to literally any team in the in the entire league, and um, he would be very, very valuable.
1: Okay, would uh, Golden State trade Draymond for Al Horford? For this for this playoffs only throughout contracts?
0: Yeah, probably not. No, the answer is
1: one hundred percent no. Okay. What about the other okay. way? Would Boston think about it? I think they'd think about it. I think that first of all, Golden State would have thought about it at numerous points wow. throughout this season. Come on. They
0: wouldn't now. I mean, look, Draymond now has turned it on to a degree that I did not really see coming for because the third he's even straight better year. than he was last year. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, sure, but he he was 25 pounds overweight during the season. So, like, you can't act like this isn't a little surprising. Uh,
1: I'm not surprised by Draymond's play at all. I, my faith never wavered in, in him. His health wasn't great at certain points. That always makes you uh, worry, okay, has he lost a step? But in terms of, you know, being the highest impact guys or where I put him on the top 100 or any other stuff, I always have believed in Draymond. Um, I wasn't that shaken up. You know, the, the weight stuff, I know that got a lot of attention, uh, there wasn't, you know, one doubt in my mind coming into this playoffs that he was going to be the most important defensive player in the entire thing, and that's exactly what he's been. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, and, and my question with Horford is, like, we've seen him come up short in key matchups at the end of these playoff runs, like, whether it's tri- – it, first of all, not whether it's Tristan Thompson. It's always Tristan Thompson, so he has a Tristan Thompson problem, but, like, if it's the highest level – NBA Finals, I would probably rather have Draymond Green as a defensive player. I don't know. I, I do think it's there's no right answer um, in general because it's, re- it's really difficult to divorce Draymond's value from
1: the team he plays
0: on. He's probably a little bit overrated if we're, if we're putting him over Al Horford as a no-brainer.
1: Uh, no, the answer is definitely Draymond. Uh, I think Boston would think about it for sure. It's not like Al Horford's got no talent to work with in Boston's context. I mean, I understand you want to hype up Golden State stars, and you know because that's going to diminish Draymond in this argument. But Boston's got a ton of talent. Al Horford's able to play a pretty narrow role there for them. He does all the things they want him to do. Very well, but it's not like he's being taxed with. Hey, you've got to go be this lead scorer. You've got to be this like shot maker who helps carry the offense. I mean, he's in a supporting offensive role. Uh, maybe still a little bit larger than Draymond, uh, but nevertheless, I think Draymond's you know energy impact uh, you know definitely outshines him. And I would love to see Draymond on the Celtics because I think that uh, hmm. they would arguably, arguably be even better than they are currently um so yeah i don't know i it's interesting i guess and i think it's a credit to how well horford plays that those kinds of conversations happen like right after game one because that was like the purest expression of his value um yeah but you know the dream one gets too much crap from guys like you constantly loving to say all of his success is because of his teammates you've been doing this for four years
0: this is so annoying okay I have been a Draymond believer every step of the way, and so chill on the on the Draymond skepticism. they yeah, triggered there just slightly. Interesting questions. Yeah. Well, no, I'm triggered because it's like every 10 minutes there's some other random thing. Like uh, <laughs> I'm a Draymond believer I came into the season I came into the playoff season and picked the Warriors to to win the title Picked the Warriors to beat the Rockets in five which looks like is the way things are going to go in large part because I trust Draymond to turn it on when it matters I'm just what I said earlier like I didn't trust him to be this good like he looks as good right now as he has at any point in their title runs which like is a little bit incredible considering how much wear and tear he's had to deal with over the last couple years. years. Um, but like in some of these rockets, he, he's, he's picking the park, the, the rockets apart on defense. And then offensively, like he's really valuable getting into that lane and throwing those lobs, which is, that's one thing I don't understand is why teams, don't just make him beat, the, beat them at the rim because like I don't know if Draymond ever actually wants to finish those plays at the rim, but they always step forward and try to stop him in the lane and then uh, he just throws those easy alley-oops like all game long. It's wild. No, it's,
1: it's a great point. I mean like Harden's floaters are sort of the last thing that you want to... Uh, you know give up but you have to give up something right that's not the case for Draymond like if he just came down the lane and was like throwing up floaters play after play you'd be okay with that instead they just get like seven or eight lobs to Andre it seems like every single game yeah. recently uh, but look this was my whole point you needed to be back on defense a little bit this episode, Andrew. You needed to feel the wind <laughs> like the snail. I,
0: I lost it. I, when you try to turn me into like Mr. Casual Fan Draymond hater, that is one of my trigger points <laughs> well, where I'm just like, good. dude, I've been writing about Draymond being excellent for like five years. Well, here's the uh, thing but, on that,
1: though. No one's going to outflank me when it comes to Draymond. I don't care if he's 350 p- uh, pounds You know, on uh-huh. March 28th next year. I will still uh, be a believer. I am going down with that ship all the way because I do think that the masses, and you know, I jokingly included you in that group, but the masses still think he's a system player who's a product of his environment, and it's not true. He has helped create that environment and that system as much as anybody besides Curry and then Durant in mm-hmm. the last couple of years. He's been integral to everything they do offensively and defensively and he does lots of stuff that doesn't show up uh, or doesn't get appreciated by you know the YouTube highlight reels and all that stuff so I will go down with the draymond ship I'm fine with eventually being proven that I overrated him you know at some <laughs> well, point
0: there's no question that you will be overrating him at the end because it's some somewhere along the way he's gonna like fall off a cliff and you're gonna be there calling him the best defensive player well alive. here's the thing I, but I'll be right there with I'll, you because I like to I'd nine.
1: rather be wrong once than wrong five times like you have and all these other people have been wrong about Draymond for the last five years. So I'll just be wrong once. Again. I'll overrate him uh, you know, one time and everybody else can underrate him for the last five years.
0: You're like you're like James Harden missing three after three after three and refusing to rewire your brain because I am not a Draymond hater yet you keep grouping me in with these haters. Uh, I'm I'm with you though in general, and you know why on the Draymond Horford question is because I have a vivid memory of last year right at this time when Horford was kind of picking apart the Sixers and ruining Embiid and Simmons at the same time, and then we came out of that series and people were like. Is Al Horford like a top eight player in the NBA? I mean, is he one of the best players alive and one of the most underappreciated players of this generation? And then they entered that Cavs series and he really had a hard time. So I'm not going to make the same mistake by kind of like overstating where Horford is in in the pecking order because Draymond has proven time and again that against literally the best players on the planet, like he's as good as anybody. For so, sure. I mean, Draymond has had
1: more success against LeBron by far than Al Horford's had, you know? And you wanted to say it was a Tristan Thompson problem. Well, like Tristan Thompson was on the court, right? But it was really a LeBron problem. And LeBron outthinking him, outmaneuvering the defense that was led by Horford just time and time again. I know they had a bunch of battles and for multiple series there, it was like he couldn't even get a single win. Uh, Draymond leading the Warriors' defensive scheme, Granted, with some pretty good help there on the perimeter uh, against LeBron, was very successful for multiple years in a row. I trust that track record. And also, Draymond's a little bit younger uh, you know, compared to, to Horford as well. I think that we've just mm-hmm. basically made a straw man here. Are there people who think it's Horford?
0: Um, the poll on Twitter... Had, I believe, like 70% saying Horford was better than Draymond. So it's not a straw man. That may be full of Bucks fans because Ben Thompson is a Bucks fan. Um, So I guess there may be some recency bias there. But I think there are a lot of people who would say, in a vacuum, Al Horford's shooting makes him more valuable, whereas Draymond Green's lack of shooting complicates what he would be elsewhere, which. I think there are, there's a point to where that's actually fair because I like you don't want to overstate it, but um, you look out at the Warriors sometimes and there are so many non-shooters on the floor, you're like, how does this work? And then you remember that Steph Curry is literally the greatest shooter in the history of the game and commands like uh, twice as much attention as anyone else in the NBA and and frees up space in turn. So I think that's why it works but that story would be a little different um, on 29 other teams. All right,
1: well, from here going forward, you clearly need to hop over to the right side of history and really shout this message out about how good Draymond is. If we have to win over that many hearts and minds, you know, the <laughs> 70% of people out there, we're going to have to okay. we're gonna have to band together here, Andrew. This can't be a one-man thing. Yeah,
0: we'll have to be less nuanced about this. That's fine with me. I, I, I like Draymond so much personally that I can get on that bandwagon um, because, again... The guy is just a complete maniac, and as my buddy, who's a diehard Michigan State fan, shout out Lonnie, uh, he said, you know, sometimes you just have to be wired a little different to be 6'6", playing power forward for 10 years, and uh, that is Draymond Green, and I will always love him. So, on that note, Ben, you have to go to Houston tomorrow, I have to go to sleep because it is 1 a.m., and I think we should reconvene next Tuesday morning after game four of Bucks Celtics and game four of Rockets Warriors.
1: That sounds like a great plan, Andrew. Uh, all of the emailers, you know, we said a lot of hot takes. It was a late night pod. A lot of heat came out. Open floor mail <laughs> at gmail.com. Open floor mail at gmail.com. Let us hear it. Uh, you know, I'm sure we got a few things wrong along the way, especially Andrew. Also, we're on uh, Apple podcast. Oh <laughs>
0: That goddamn snail has ruined the podcast.
1: Check us out on Apple podcast by searching for open floor. That's two words. Find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. I'm on Instagram at Ben. for Great news, Andrew. People were asking for the lantern this week. I didn't get to it. We're bringing it back next week. I can't wait. It's going to be so exciting. We're gonna have a lot of good stuff to talk about next week. Cause these series are just getting deeper and deeper and more interesting. We're also on the world famous radio.com open floor. Check us out there. Hey, Andrew. Until early next week, I will talk to you. All right, man, take it easy.